Welcome to Your Change, a broadcast aimed at revealing grace and empowering transformation. Through the revelation of God's undeserved, unearned and unmerited favour, we are committed to helping you make better changes in life for life. I want to maintain the atmosphere that we have and I'm going to go straight into the Word of God this morning. And I want you to listen to me very carefully. We are continuing with, uh, in dealing with the subject of contending. The things that we need to put all the necessary efforts. We're talking about putting on a fight. Engaging in a fight. Engaging in a fight. There are certain things that are not just going to come in a silver plate. We have to roll our sleeves we have to fight for what belongs to us. We have to stand up and put up a fight and get what belongs to us. The Bible says in the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God suffereth violence and it is the violent who shall take it by force. There are times where we need to exert a certain level of force for us to get what belongs to us, for us to go and grab what belongs to us in Jesus' precious and mighty name. I want to acknowledge in the house the man of God, Pastor Mshaire. May God bless you, man of God. It is an honor to have you in house in Jesus' precious and mighty name. And this morning, I want us to move forward and I want us to talk on the subject contending for the promise. Contending for the promise. Just turn to somebody next sitting next to you and just say to them, contending for the promise. Just put some life in it and just tell them once again on the right as well as on the left, tell them contending for the promise. So which means the critical word today that we need to place our focus and our emphasis on, it is the word promise. It is the word promise. We have dealt with contending for the opportunity. We have dealt with contending for the progress. And today we want to place emphasis on contending for the promise. Contending for the promise. Now I want you to understand that for a people of faith, for us as a people of faith, life always moves in the direction of God's will as expressed through his promises. As a people of God, as children of God, our lives moves in the direction of God's will as expressed in his promises to us. And I want you to remember this statement at all cost, that every time we are dealing with promises, that are coming from God to us. We are not dealing with small matters. Every time we are dealing with promises, especially promises that God is giving to us, we are not dealing with small matters. Why am I saying so? Because the language of promises, the language of promises, it is the language of a covenant. Promises are covenantal language. So whenever God comes in and he is giving a promise, don't take it lightly because you are dealing with covenant language. You are dealing with covenant communication. 
right. And God doesn't play with agreements. God doesn't play with arrangements. God doesn't play with uh, covenants. That is why you find that when you look into the life of Noah, everything about Noah and his children and his people, it moved in the direction of God's promises. His life and everything about him, it was shaped by the promise that God gave to him, not only to Noah, but when you look into the life of the fathers of the faith, we are talking of Abraham, we are talking of Isaac, we are talking of Jacob, I can put Isaac as well, because these are the four key characters you find in the book of Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, when you look at their lives, Everything about their lives revolved around the promises of God. That is why when God spoke to Abraham, he says, whoever is going to bless you, I am also going to bless. It's not a small thing. And God went on to give a promise and he says, whoever is going to cast you, I am going to be involved in your affairs. So God doesn't take promises lightly. It's a serious communication. So every time you come across a promise in the word of God, never take it lightly. That is why when you look at the life of David, it revolved around a promise that God placed upon him and also upon his household. So promise, a promise is a pledge. That is what a promise is. A promise is a pledge or let me use this language, a promise, it is a commitment to do something. It is a commitment to do something. So whenever God comes in and he issues a promise, he is giving his commitment. He is saying what I have promised, I am going to do it. What I have promised, I am going to do to do it. So which means that our position as children of God, our position on God's promises or the depth of our interaction with God's promises is what defines our journey of life. The depth of our interaction with God's promises defines how we walk in our spiritual journey. Why? Because we are dealing with a realm of life where God has placed his commitment. Where God has placed his commitment. In other words, God is binding himself. Am I talking to the church this morning? Whenever we are dealing with a promise, we are seeing God binding himself. And he's saying, I am going to do what I have said. That is why those we have understood the language of promises, the likes of Moses and the children of Israel. They would write in the book of Numbers and say, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. When he promises, he does fulfill because it's the nature of God that when he gives a promise, he is Binding himself that I am going to do what I have 
promised. God is not a man. He doesn't just move around and issue out promises recklessly. Whenever God gives a promise, he has thought through that promise. He has calculated his words very well. He is not like man who gives a promise today that I'm going to do something and tomorrow they change their mind. God is not like man who gives a promise today and tomorrow they give you an excuse. Whenever God gives a promise, he's committing himself. God will not come with an excuse of not doing what he promised to do. Why? Because God commits himself. And when he commits himself, God is serious about it. Let's just jump to Hebrews chapter number 6, verse number 18. I want you to see how God takes promises seriously. Hebrews chapter number 6, verse number 18. And I'll read from the New Living Translation. Hebrews chapter number 6, verse number 18. The Bible says, So God has given both, Hebrews chapter number 6, verse number 18. I like the New Living Translation. It says, So God has given both his promise and his oath. Right. These two are unchangeable. Somebody say unchangeable. These two are unchangeable. Why? Because it is impossible for God to lie. These two are unchangeable. Because it is impossible for God to lie. This account is a reference to when God gave a promise to Moses, to Abraham. So when God gave a promise to Abraham, as a way of proving beyond any shadow of doubt to Abraham that I am going to do what I've said, God gave both a promise and an oath. Am I talking to somebody this morning? As a way of showing how serious God was to Abraham, God went on to give a promise and also an oath. Now listen to me, child of God. Every time God gives a promise and it comes with an oath, it means that what God has said, it becomes irrevocable. Uh, do, do I have people in the house this morning? So every time God gives a promise and he attaches an oath, he swears. What that means is that whatever God has said, it is irrevocable. It is unchangeable. It becomes permanent. It becomes solid. So in other words, it becomes unconditional. So it doesn't matter what is going to happen. God is saying, I have committed myself. I am going to do what I have said to you. Why am I spending so much time explaining this to you? I want you to see how serious God is when it comes to giving promises. God is so serious when it comes to the issuing out of promises. And I'm saying to you, child of God, since God has committed himself, the wisest thing that you and I can ever do it is to commit ourselves 
to that which God has committed himself to. Can I repeat that? The wisest thing that you can do in your Christian journey, it is to commit yourself to that which God has committed himself. So in other words, the other side of the coin is, it is unwise, it is foolish to commit yourself to things that God hasn't committed himself to. It is unwise to commit yourself, to put your energy into the things that God has not committed himself to. Do I have a church this morning? That means that there, then there are two dangers that you and I need to be aware of in our journey of life. Every time we're dealing with God and his promises, the first danger is the danger of ignorance. Is ignorance. It is when we are ignorant of God's promises. In other words, we, this is a place where we become ignorant of the things God has committed himself to. That is unwise. There is no wisdom in being ignorant of the things God has committed himself to. So the enemy can easily take advantage of our ignorance because he knows that we are not committing ourselves to the very things God has committed himself to. So that's the first danger, ignorance. And the second danger is insincerity. Not being serious. Can I slow down on this one? The second danger, it is not being serious. It is not taking God seriously. Where he gives promises to us, we take them so lightly, we become so casual. As far as God's commitment is, children of God, if ever there is a time for you to take God seriously, it is now and now. It is now, it is in this season where the church of God has got to make a mind, make up a decision that as for me, I am going to take God seriously. I am not going to be casual as far as God's promises are concerned. If God is serious about his promises, then I also need to be serious about the promises God has given to me. Do I have the church this morning? want us to turn the rest of our focus into the book of Numbers. I'll just take the last two verses of chapter number 13 and then we'll spend all the time in chapter number 14. Allow me just to give the context of Numbers chapter number 13, chapter number 14. This is a time when the children of Israel had traveled long journey in the wilderness towards the promised land. It's the land of Canaan. And I want to believe that in this particular incident, I think I once preached a message which I titled, One Step Away. The children of Israel were just one step away from inheriting the promise. Do I have somebody in the house? The children of Israel were one step away. Somebody say one step away. I say like you mean it, one step away. The children of Israel were just one step away from possessing the land of Canaan, from them possessing their promise. They were just one step away. And what did Moses do? Moses called 
the leaders of the 12 tribes. And he says to them, I want you to go and spy the land of Canaan. Now for them to be able to go and spy the land, that means Canaan was within reach. Do I have somebody in the house? That means Canaan was very close for them to be able to go dig out information about the land of Canaan and come back and give a report. They were very close. That's why I'm saying they were one step away from possessing the land of Canaan. So Moses calls the 12 leaders and he sends them. But I want you to pay attention. The assignment of these 12 men representing every tribe of Israel. It was for them to go see the land of Canaan. Whether what they see with their eyes matches what God promised. Yep. That was the assignment. That you need to go and see whether the land flows with milk and honey. So that when you come back, you are coming back with a report and saying, yes, what we saw is in line with what God promised. That was the assignment. And the 12 spies, they went as one group, but they came back as two groups. They went as one group, but they came back as two groups. Now, these two groups, they were not balanced because it was two against 10. It was two against 10. Now, I want you to really listen to me very carefully going forward. Because as we are dealing with contending for the promise, in this particular text of the scripture, it is a contest of voices. It is a contest of voices. But there is no balance here. It's the, the, the equation is not fair. Because we've got two against ten. We've got two voices against ten voices. And as they came back with a report, instead of being faithful to the assignment, that can you please just confirm that what you saw is exactly what God promised. The 10 leaders, they came back, they confirmed. Not only did they confirm, but they came back with evidence. The Bible says they came back with clusters of grapes, as the evidence that look here, this is the quality of the produce of this land as a sample. So not only did they confirm how fatal the land was, but they came back with evidence. Instead of ending there, the Bible says, then they began to give a bad report. They began to give what? A bad report. The assignment was to go, spy the land, come back with a report to their manager, manager Moses. Instead of giving the report to Moses, the Bible says they went on to give the report to the rest of the community. Now I want you to understand that when we are talking of this particular community, we are not talking of a 50-member community. We are not talking of a 100-member community. 
those who study the scripture, they tell us that you are dealing with a community of approximately 2.5 million people. And 10 voices, they came back and they began to spread what the scripture calls bad report. But the other two, they also came back. They did exactly what the 10 did. They came back with a report confirming the promise of God that there was a match. In this technological world, we'd say, you know, if it was a computer, we'd say match found. Everything was telling. They also came back with clusters of, God, of, of grapes confirming the promise of God and they ended there. When the 10 now began to spread the report, these two rose up to defend the promise of God. Because as these 10 are spreading the news, they are spreading of news that is instilling fear in the people instead of instilling faith in the people. Because remember, every time you're dealing with a promise, a promise is activated by faith. Am I talking to somebody in the house? You cannot deal with the language of promises outside faith. Can I repeat that? You cannot deal with the language of promises outside faith. The number one demand for promise is faith. In other words, it's a confidence in God. It's a total trust in God. So as the 10 leaders came back and they are spreading a report of fear, these two men, they rose up. They were not afraid of the multitude of voices. They were not intimidated by the multitude of voices. They said, yes, we are true. Our microphone is not as loud as the microphone of the 10 people. But we are not going to be silent. We have to stand and contend for the promise of God. While the ten are saying, we cannot go into that place. But the two says, certainly, certainly we can take this land. For God has given it to us. What are they holding on to? They are holding on to the promise of God. Now let me come and speak to you. How then do you identify these voices? I call them the anti-promise voices. Somebody say anti-promise voices. Remember from the last sessions, an anti-voice, it is an opposing voice. It is a voice that goes against the promise. Last week we spoke of anti-progress. These are voices that go against the promise of God, that go against your, your progress in life. We spoke about the anti opportunity and to change voices these are voices that oppose change in your life and today i'm saying to you it's important for you as a child of god to be able to identify anti-promise voices how do you identify them number one anti-promise voices they focus on your inadequacies instead of god's abilities that's what they do Anti-promise voices focus on your inadequacies instead of God's abilities. 
Numbers chapter number 13, verse number 32 to 33. Numbers 13, verse number 32 to 33. When we are talking of inadequacies, we are talking of a situation or a state where one is uh, unable to deal with the situation. It's inability to deal with a situation. Numbers 13, verse 32 to 33. The scripture says, And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, who are the descendants of Anak who come from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, as if that was enough. And we also looked the same to them. Hold on. Hold on. How did you know? How did you know that you look the same to them? Did you speak to them? No. Did they tell you that you're grasshoppers? No. It's a voice that they were telling themselves. And after they assess the situation and they reduce themselves from a level of being people that are created in the image of God. And after assessing and reducing themselves from the level of being a people with God's promises, reducing themselves to the level of grasshoppers. Do you know that grasshoppers don't eat grapes? They eat the leaves of grapes. Do you know that? Grasshoppers don't eat grapes. They eat the leaves of grapes. So can you see how much they had reduced themselves? At least if they had picked something that could eat the grapes which they came with, it would have been maybe better. But how can you reduce yourself to the level of not even eating what you brought as evidence? And he says, in our own eyes, we are like grasshoppers. And we are like the same even in their eyes. And this is the message they began to spread to the Israelites. I want you to imagine 2.5 million people. If you don't have a picture of a 2.5 million people, just think of a 3 million match. All right, I'll leave it there. So what they're doing is that they are placing, they are putting fear in the people so that people can begin to look on their inabilities. They begin to focus on their inadequacies. They begin to focus on their insufficiencies so that when they look now uh, to the land of Canaan, they disqualify themselves because of the bad report. And I'm saying to you, child of God, this is how you identify an anti-promise voice. It focuses on your inadequacies instead of focusing on God's ability. That is why when you listen to the two who are Caleb and Joshua, when they came back, they did not major on their inadequacies but they majored on God's ability. They said with God on our side, we can take the promised land. Yes, there are giants in there, 
but with God we are more than conquerors yes we may be looking like grasshoppers but not in the eyes of God in the eyes of God we are more than conquerors so every time you're dealing with an anti-promise voice you've got to pay attention the anti-voice it wants you to focus on yourself until you convince yourself that I'm not able can I talk to somebody in the house this morning do I have real people in the house I don't know if you're, if you're like me. There are times where I've disqualified myself because I majored on myself. I looked at the task before me and I concluded that I cannot do this. I concluded that I am not able. I told myself that I don't have what it takes. But the people of says they'll say, in as much as I don't have what it takes, but I have him. I have him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, and above all we can think or imagine. I have him. I got him. He's on my side. That is why even the New Testament writes and says, if God be on our side, what can men do to us? If God be on our side, you know, you've got to come to a level where you are convinced that the one who is on your side is greater than the giants in the land of Canaan. Therefore, I am going to press forward. I am going to move forward because the one who is on our side is able to do exceedingly. So that's number one. That is the voice that you need to pay attention to. You know, when you look at this voice, it's a voice that always looks backwards. It doesn't look forward. It looks backwards all the time. The, that is why when you read Numbers 14, verse number four, it, it says, and they say to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Listen to me, you are one step away from entering the promised land. And now you are, you are calling for a meeting, a congress. To decide a leader who is not going to take you forward, but who is going to take you back to Egypt. That's an anti-promise voice. It doesn't look forward. It's always looking backwards. Its reference is not in the future. Its reference is always in the past. It's a voice that has its wishes in the past, not in the future. When you listen to the conversation of these people, they are saying, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Where is the sword? You went to spy the land. You saw, you saw the Canaanites busy going on with their own lives. There was no sword involved here. And now listen to the report. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to let us fall by the sword. Our wives and children would be taken as plunder. Would it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Would it be better for us to go back to, to Egypt? You know, the wishes of this kind of voice is in the past. It's, not, it's never in the future. You know, it's a voice that sees slavery as a better option. They forgot that they were in, in captivity for almost 430 years. 
But when they came to this place, and you pay attention to this voice, this voice will tell you that, you know what, the 430 years that we're crying about, they are better. It's a voice that makes you think that your past is better than your future. Because you have become so accustomed of slavery to the point that it has become normal to you. This is where you become so accustomed to a bad past. To the point that when you are faced with, with one step, when you are right at the step of entering your promised land, you, you begin to wish you were eating cucumbers and garlic in Egypt. Because that was their story all the time. Every time there was a crisis, they thought of onion. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. Of all the things, onion, honestly. I do cook at home. That thing can make you cry for no reason. And someone is wishing to go back and eat onion. On top of that, garlic. And cucumbers. Every time you pay attention to this voice, it's a voice that will disconnect you from the reason why you are where you are. Yeah. This voice, it will disconnect you from, from the reason of why you are where you are. These people, let, let me read that verse. Verse number three. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us by the sword? They, they have forgotten that, you know, God has promised to give us they have forgotten that the reason why we are standing in this place, it is because God has given us a promise. And they have forgotten about that. And they begin to wish they had gone back and choose a leader of going back. I once said in another place, I think it was here at Ebenezer Church, around the same text. I once said that I, I, I cannot think the logic, be, I cannot see the logic behind people who are operating with fear. You won't see logic, you won't see sense. Why? Because they are thinking of choosing a leader who is going to lead them to go back. Just think where they came from. For them to be where they are there, the Red Sea had to part. So if you are going to choose a leader to take you back, you must have a leader who is able to part the Red Sea. There are moments where there was no food, no water. So you must be able to pick up a leader who when you come to Mara where there is bitter water, that leader must be able to turn the water. Otherwise, the very same people are going to say, let's stone this leader the same way they were doing to Moses. Am I talking to the church this morning? So you've got to be able to pay attention to this voice. Number two. How do you identify this voice? An anti-progress voice, it refuses to believe God. It what? I want you to underline the word refuses. It's one thing not to believe. It's another thing to what? To refuse to believe. Numbers 14 verse number 11. Numbers 14 verse number 11. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Listen to the next verse, the next line. How long will they refuse to believe in me? 
That's God saying that. How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? I said these people, they were not believing, not because they could not believe. They were choosing not to believe. They were refusing to believe. It's not that there were no grounds to believe. They were refusing to believe. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. God had done miracle after miracle to help them believe. But they refused to believe. Not because there was no grounds or evidence for them to believe. Can I talk to you this morning? How many things has God done in your life? Count your blessing. Name them one by one. Some of you at one point you've testified God healed me. And you thanked God. I won't mention the number of people who thanked God for their jobs. Do I have us? You prayed earnestly and God gave you what? A job. For the majority of you, one prayer that we can all agree with. You prayed to come here. And your prayer was what? Was answered. And here's my question to you. Why then do you refuse to believe God? When there is a trail of evidence in the past of God's involvement in your life. What excuse are you going to give when God comes in and says, I have done this. I have done this. If you are like me, I came here single. But God gave me a beautiful wife. A beautiful daughter and a very handsome young man. Miracle after miracle. You know our story. Shama is a miracle to us. Having gone through a process of mourning your own child and have people come in the room and pass on their condolences to you and yourself, you even conclude that it is done. Started to make phone calls telling people that, you know what? The child is gone. Only God to give us back the child after a couple of hours. When the doctors had concluded that it's a done deal. And now it's a process of just inducing Minister Winnie just to take the baby out. But everything was sealed. As far as the child is concerned, we're sorry. And now I come and I stand here today. And I refuse to believe God. That's foolishness. That's lack of wisdom. It's gross ignorance. That God has done something for you and you choose to refuse. Not because there are no grounds to believe him. Brothers and sisters, let's take God seriously. Can I repeat that? Brothers and sisters, let us take God seriously. If there is a time that you and I need to make a decision and say I'm going to take God seriously, it is today. Let's make a decision that I am going to take God seriously. Why? Because he has committed himself to his promises. He has bound himself to his promises that I am going to do this. Can you commit yourself at least to what God has committed himself to? The third reason, a 
think I've mixed them up for those online if you're using that. Anti-promise voices, they treat God with contempt. Yeah? Anti-promise voices, they treat God with what? With contempt. In other words, they don't take God seriously. Numbers 14, 11, same verse. God is saying, how long will these people treat me with contempt? It's not Moses who's saying, you guys, I think you're treating God with contempt. No. It's God who's saying, they're actually treating me with contempt. To treat someone with contempt, it means you are not placing the value that person deserves. You are not putting the worth that that person deserves. And they have this great God who is called the great I am. Jehovah, who has manifested himself in so many different ways. But God is saying, these people, they don't take me seriously. So every time in your life, you are contending for the promise. Pay attention. Be able to identify this voice. It manifests itself, number one, by what? It focuses on your inadequacies, your inabilities. Number two, that voice, it focuses, it refuses to what? To believe God. And number three, that voice, it treats God with contempt. Let's conclude now. Or maybe before I conclude that. Let me just take you to Numbers 14, verse number 34. I want you to see the consequence of refusing to believe God. I want you to see the consequence of what? Refusing or of yielding, submitting yourself, of becoming loyal to an anti-promise voice. Numbers 14, verse number 34. Numbers 14, verse number 34. This is what happens when you and I refuse to believe God. The Bible says, for 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land. So the, the 12 spies, they went to explore the land for how many days? For 40 days. Talk to me, church. For how many days? For 40 days. And when they came back, the 10, when they came back with a bad report to influence everybody else, to the point that everyone concluded that we are no longer going forward. And meetings and meetings are going on to decide, to make a decision to go back. This is what God says. He says, for 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. Can I repeat that slowly? For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored. So for every single day that you're exploring the land of Canaan, it is going to be equivalent of one year of you wandering before you enter the promised land because you refused to believe me. And God is saying, I want you to have a taste of what it means when I am against you. Brothers and sisters, let me come down and say this to you. It is, if, I don't know what's the word I can use. It is scary. It is a very scary thing to have God against you. If man is going to be against you, there is God to help you out. If your enemies are against you, there is a mediator, the Jesus Christ, to come and defend you. But it's scary 
when the one who's supposed to defend you is against you. Because no one is ever going to be able to come, represent you, fight for you, be your advocate. No one will be able to do that. That's why I'm saying to you this morning, it doesn't matter the age, take God seriously. In your Christian journey, take God seriously. I don't know how much I can emphasize that. Take God seriously. Enough with being casual with God. Enough with playing games with God. Enough with playing church with God. Let us take God seriously. Especially for a generation. May God instill in you a heart that fears God. That honors God. That reverences God. In everything that you do. In public as well as in private. Take God seriously. How then do you overcome anti-promise voices? Three things, then I'll close. Number one, develop a consciousness of God. If you're going to overcome anti-promise voices, you need to develop what I call a consciousness of God's presence. Somebody say, a consciousness of God's presence. Numbers 14, verse number 9. Numbers 14, verse number 9. The Bible says, only do not rebel against the Lord. These are the two voices speaking. They are saying, do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land. Why? Because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. The ten voices are saying, you know what, we are like grasshoppers. Let's go back. But the two voices are saying, hey, listen to me, Israel. Don't rebel against God. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Rebellion, it is going against the promises of God. Rebellion. Can I repeat that? Going against the promises of God is rebellion. But the two voices of faith, they rose up and it says, people of Israel, don't rebel against God. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will, not they will divorce, but we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. But the Lord is with us. Can you see that the reason for them not fearing what the ten were afraid of is the presence of God. It's a consciousness of the presence of God. The reason why they were not afraid of the, of, 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 of the giants in the land of Canaan it is because they had a consciousness of the presence of God. That is why I said earlier on, if God be for us, it's a consciousness of the presence of God in our lives. I can hear David say in Psalm 23 verse number 4, Yeah, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to be afraid. Why? Because I'm conscious of the presence of God. When we are living in a world in a time where it's breeding fear in us, can I encourage you? We deal with fear by having a consciousness of the presence of God. The same God who declared in Isaiah 43 that we shall walk through the waters. They are not going to drown you. Why? Because I am with you. 
You shall pass through the fires. You shall never be burnt. Why? Because I am with you. It's a consciousness of the presence of God in your life. Yes, we are true. And our voices are almost being drowned in the voices of the majority, of the multitude of people. But listen to me, brothers and sisters. When you've got the presence of God, you are not a minority, you are a majority. With the presence of God, you can possess the promised land. With the presence of God, you can do the undoable. With the presence of God, you can achieve great things. With the presence of God. The two voices, they had, they had a confidence, not in themselves, but their confidence was in being aware that the presence of God is with us. It's even greater for a New Testament believer. Because the New Testament believer, the scripture says, greater is ye, not we is in heaven. Ah, greater is he who is in me. So that means every step that I take, the presence also takes a forward step. Every time I take two forward steps, the presence of God also takes two forward steps. So in other words, wherever I am, that is exactly where the presence of God is. So when I go for an interview, the presence goes with me. When I go into the operating room, the presence of God goes with me. When I go into an exam room, the presence goes with me. When I go into an interview, the presence of God goes with me. I'm conscious of the presence of God. The second reason... The second way to overcome an anti-promise voice. So number one, we say it. Develop what? Consciousness of God. Let me just add a little bit there. So wherever you are, begin to practice the presence of God. Make it a habit to practice what? The presence of God. Forgive me. I know those who, saw, who, rang the, who, 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 who wrote and sang some of our old songs, they did it sincerely. I'm not here to look down upon them. But gone are the days for us to say, come by here. Why? Because for a New Testament believer, we are not calling him to come. He is already in us. Do you understand what I'm saying? So everywhere that I am, I am conscious that the presence of God is upon me. We only differ because we are not developing ourselves spiritually to become sensitive to the one who is always with us. That's why the level or the degree of manifestations differ. Because for others, they have the presence, but they walk as though the presence is not there. Whereas for others, they have the presence and they are conscious of the presence and they take advantage of the presence. Both of them, they have the presence. Second way to overcome anti-promise voice. Cultivate a different spirit. Yeah? It's not something that heaven has to do for you. Do it for yourself. Cultivate or nature a different spirit. 
Numbers 14 verse 24, the Bible says, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit. The reason why Joshua and Caleb are able to stand up and say what they said, God himself stood up and says, I have assessed Caleb. He has a different spirit. In other words, he has a different mindset. Caleb has a different attitude towards me. His attitude towards me is not influenced by the majority who are spreading bad news. This young man has his attitude set on me. He has a right attitude, a right frame of thinking towards me. Same thing with Joshua. Those who study the scriptures, they tell us that when the scripture says another spirit of a different spirit, it, it speaks of an emotional or a psychological disposition. It's not talking about your spirit as in your spirit, but we're talking about your mind. You keep him in perfect peace. He whose mind, he whose mind is set on you. Develop a mind that focuses on God's presence. So that in the day when you are just one step away from the land of Canaan and there are giants in the very place God is calling you to, your mind will convince you, your mind will also testify that, yes, there are giants, but God is bigger. You are developing, you are nurturing a different spirit in you. You don't allow every kind of information to influence you. You don't just easily buy into everything that is thrown at you. You don't just easily believe everything that, is, that comes by WhatsApp. You have a different mindset. You are developing it. You are developing it. You are developing it every day. You are developing a right attitude towards God. Lastly, what do you need to do to overcome anti-promise voices? Last one. Follow God wholeheartedly. Do I have a witness in the house? Follow God wholeheartedly. Numbers 14 verse number 24. Numbers 14 verse number 24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. Let me tell you this as a pastor. Churches are full of people that follow God. But very few people follow him wholeheartedly. Different things. Our churches are full of people that follow God. But there are very few who follow him wholeheartedly. Where your heart, your mind, everything about your life is completely given to the Lord. That is why I find that our level of commitment to God is shaky. Because we follow God, but we don't follow Him wholeheartedly. As a matter of fact, these 10, these ten spies who came back with a bad report, they were following God. They left Egypt. They were following God. But what separated them from Caleb is because Caleb and Joshua, they followed God 
wholeheartedly. What does that mean? It's, it means that Caleb remained loyal to God. That's what it means. It means Caleb and Joshua, they, they, com- they were completely loyal to God. They submitted themselves to God completely. Total submission. They did not give half of their heart to God and then the other half was, you know, that's for me. They were loyal to God completely. Totally sold out to God. Totally surrendered to God. And they would rise up and tell you that it doesn't matter the multitude of voices that are convincing almost 2.5 million people. We are not going to follow that voice as long as that voice doesn't have God in it. Joshua and Caleb moved with a strong conviction in God. It was difficult to move them from God. Can I challenge you, child of God? Don't become a weak believer who is so easily moved from God. A, a tiny, small thing, it takes you away from God. No, begin to develop, begin to nature a heart that is completely surrendered to God. Completely surrendered to God. Hebrews 10 verse number 23. Can I conclude with this one? Then we we rise up and pray. Hebrews 10 23. The writer says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises what? Is faithful. And here's what I'm simply saying to Church of the Living God. Maintain a consistent confidence in God. In everything that you do in your life, maintain a consistent confidence in God. It's consistent. It's consistent. It's consistent. You don't have confidence in God because it's a Sunday. And then Monday, you're a different person. No, there must be consistency. Consistency. This is one reason why many people are not able to experience the promises. There is no consistency. There is no consistency. And I'm saying to you, Church of the Living God today, in everything that you do in your life, even in the face of fear, maintain your consistent confidence. In God. When there are so many voices that are trying to drain your faith, I am saying to you, child of God, maintain a consistent confidence in God. Even when you are standing right in front of in face of right in front of a challenge, using your human eyes and reasoning you can conclude and say, this is impossible. But I'm saying to you, maintain a consistent confidence in God. Day in, day out, maintain a consistent confidence 
in God. Come rain, come thunder, maintain a consistent confidence in God. Be your heart to be moved by anti-promised voices. Be difficult. Let the enemy think not twice, but let the enemy think at least 10 times before he comes to you. Because he knows that you, 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 you don't easily swaver to, to the left or to the right. You are consistent in your confidence in God. That's Joshua and Caleb for you. That's how we overcome the anti-promise voices. There are so many things that God has promised unto us that are waiting for you just to have a consistent confidence in God. Where you come to a place, you make a declaration just like the three Hebrew boys and say, oh, king, live forever. God is going to save us, but if he chooses not to save us, I have a consistent what? Confidence. In God, just like Esther, she told you that, you know what? What I'm about to do is very risky. It has never been done, but I'm going to stand before the king tomorrow in the morning. If I perish, I perish. It's a consistent confidence in God. It's a Daniel who has been tricked and the people have plotted to do harm to him to the very extent that there to tell him that we are going to throw you in the den of lions. But watch a man who has a consistent confidence in God. He doesn't change his position. He didn't change his goalpost. He maintained his consistent confidence in God. That is taking God seriously. Let's rise on our feet. Ebenezer, can I ask you today? Let's, let's agree, church of God. Let's, let's agree today. Those who are joining me online, let, let us agree today. I, I want you to make this prayer only if you've made a decision that I want to do this. I want you to make a prayer today, a prayer of commitment that as for me, I don't know about you, but this is for me. And I'll urge you to do likewise today. But as for me, I've made a decision today that I am going to take God seriously. Do I have somebody in the house? Do I have anybody who says, Pastor, I want to join you in that prayer. As for me, I want to take you seriously, God. That means I'm going to take God seriously, not in some areas of my life, but I'm going to take God seriously in every area of my life. In my relationships, God, I'm going to take you seriously. In my health, I'm going to take you seriously. In my finances, I am going to take you seriously. In my prayer life, God, I am going to take you seriously. In my reading and studying of the word, God, I want to take you seriously. Do I have somebody who is like that this morning? Do I have somebody who is like that this morning? Bring it, bring it, bring it. Do I have somebody like that this morning? I want you to lift up your voice wherever you are. Don't, don't worry about the person next to you. Forget about them. It's about you. Can you be the Joshua and the Caleb of our generation who has a consistent confidence in God? I want you to ask the Holy Spirit for that grace. Oh, God, help me. I want to take you seriously. Oh, Holy Spirit, help me today. Oh, Holy Spirit, help me today. Oh, Holy Spirit, help me today. 
Thank you for tuning in to Your Change, a broadcast aimed at revealing grace and empowering transformation. To interact with us, please visit our website at afmimmiltonkeens.org or follow us at Ebenezer Fellowship AFMIM on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also interact with Pastor Danny on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For easy access, the links are in the description. 